Good morning, everyone. Please join me in prayer. Lord God, let the words of your servant's mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning comes from John 15, 1 through 5, and 9 through 12. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. If a man remains in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. As a father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be found in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, David. We're, um, some of you may know, some of you may not, we've just entered the season in the traditional church calendar of Lent. Uh, in our tradition, we don't lean heavily into Lent, not as heavily as other traditions and as our brothers and sisters in other Christian traditions. We kind of, we lean a little bit into Lent, not a lot. But one of the ways that we're leaning into Lent this uh, year is just through our sermon series and through our topics. Lent is the season that leads to Easter. And it's often the, the stereotype that many people know, and this is true, is that it's a season of sacrifice or it's a season of giving something up. But it's not just giving something up for the sake of giving something up as though there's, there's nothing that says that you're more mature if you can sacrifice more. Uh, in fact, Paul says the opposite in one of his letters. He says that that's called asceticism and that's not necessarily godly. Uh, it's giving something up to make room for someone else. And so when you give up, traditionally in Lent, when you give something up, uh, maybe it's an activity or a practice, or maybe it's a thing, then the time or the money that you save, the idea is that you devote that towards somehow following Jesus, so that we're giving up certain practices to make more room for Jesus in our lives. That's why we give things up and sacrifice during Lent. And in our sermon series for Lent, uh, the next seven weeks leading up and actually finishing on Easter... We're going to think about sacrifice and giving things up, not things and not events, but something more mental and something more cognitive. Namely, we're going to let Jesus challenge us to give up some of our false conceptions of who he is, and we're going to let Jesus tell us who he is. We all have different understandings or conceptions of Jesus and and who he is. Uh, One of my favorite movies, and I don't know if I dare admit this, but I'm going to admit this. Uh, Some of you may have seen the movie Talladega Nights with Will Ferrell. It came out about 15 years ago. And there's a scene, if you you don't know Talladega Nights, this is going to make no sense to you. But if you know Talladega Nights and Will Ferrell, uh, you will understand exactly what I'm talking about. It's the prayer scene when they're praying before dinner, right? And Will Ferrell's character, Ricky Bobby, starts to pray, and he says, Dear Jesus... 
It's, it's a riff on NASCAR, Southern NASCAR culture. And I'm from the South, so I can make fun of Southerners. So it's a riff on, and he says, Dear Jesus, dear little cute eight pound, six ounce baby Jesus, all swaddled up in your, what is something like your golden fleece diapers and listening to your baby Einstein DVDs. And then they get in this big, in the middle of the prayer, this big argument about who is Jesus. And they say, That's not Jesus. And he says, Well, I like to think of Jesus as, as a baby. And then, then Ricky Bobby's friend, Cal Naughton Jr., says, well, I like to think about Jesus in a, in a tuxedo T-shirt because he says, like, I want to be formal, but I'm here to party. And then they get in a big argument over, so is Jesus eight pounds, six ounces? The premise is silly, but it actually speaks to, to us because your understanding of Jesus might not be as ridiculous as eight pounds, six ounce fleece diaper Jesus, and it might not be as, as outrageous as Jesus in a tuxedo t-shirt, but that's a good image. But we all have certain understandings of Jesus that we hold on to. And Jesus tends to challenge our understandings of him. So instead of just assuming that we know Jesus, the Jesus that we've conjured up in our mind for Lent this year, we're going to let Jesus speak for himself. There are seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus gives a metaphor, an image of who he is. He says, I am, and then fill in the blank. They're called the seven I am statements in the Gospel of John. And so each week, we're going to look at one of these seven I am statements that Jesus himself makes. And we're going to let him challenge our understandings of who he is and of what the Christian faith is all about. This morning, we start with John 15. And Dave, thanks again for reading. When Jesus says, I am the vine... He actually says it twice, a little bit differently. In verse 1, he says, I am the true vine. And then in verse 5, again, he says, I am the vine. So we're reflecting this morning. What does it mean when, what does Jesus mean when he says, I am the vine? Now, in ancient Israel and ancient Mediterranean, grapevines were really common. Every, you, you couldn't go hardly anywhere without seeing grapes and growing on grapevines. That was a common image. We can kind of get the idea. We don't have as many grapevines in northern New England um, we have things like apple trees, and so we understand the notion. When Jesus says, I'm the vine, you might hear him say, I'm the, I'm the tree, I'm the trunk of the tree, and you are the branches. And that starts to make sense. But the basic idea is really simple here. Now, what's the, put it this way, this, it's almost like Jesus is confronting us with a question to start off with. What's the purpose of a grapevine? What's the point? To make grapes. And a grapevine that doesn't make grapes is, at best, what, like a weed. It's good for nothing except to be gathered up and you put it in your brush pile and you let it dry out and then you start a good bonfire in a couple of weeks when you're having your friends over for a party. Or if we're thinking about a good New England apple tree, what's the purpose of an apple tree? Well, it's to make apples. And if if somebody runs an apple orchard and they've got all of these apple trees and now they've got one that's not bearing fruit, well, what good is that tree for? It's not any good. A vine or a tree without fruit is pointless. And Jesus is drawing us right into that. In fact, he starts out by confronting this core truth of our faith that, to be honest, many uh, Christians, many conservative Christians get wrong. Jesus tells us right at the outset that one of the key purposes, the key aims of our faith, one of the things to which God calls us is to bear fruit in this life. 
In other words, the Christian faith is not just about going to heaven when you die. It's not, Christianity is not just a, a get out of hell free card. It's not just kind of fire insurance. I'm going to do the right thing and then hope that, this, hope that this keeps me safe down the road. It's about bearing fruit in this life. Now, it's possible to take that statement too far. I know. And so don't take it too far. <laughs> but, but think about, I mean, think even about what we pray. Every, we just prayed it again this morning. And I've, I've noticed I've been coming back to this over and over because it just keeps being true. What do we pray? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. On earth as it is in heaven. Why would Jesus tell us to pray on earth as it is in heaven if this earth didn't matter? Like that old, the old gospel song, this, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. That's, Jesus says, that, no, this is your home and you're not just passing through. This is home, and what you do here matters, and your fruit here in this world matter. Our purpose is so much more than to just go to heaven when we die and take as many people with us as we can. That actually incredibly devalues this world that God has created. God calls us to bear fruit on this earth in this life. And Jesus says a branch that doesn't bear fruit is no good. It's no good. And so he starts teaching us about just the nature, and this is obvious, like nothing Jesus says from an agricultural standpoint is, is profound. I'm kind of just naming what's obvious this morning. So consider with me that a branch exists to bear fruit, but also a branch is only healthy when it's connected to a tree. If a branch is not attached to a tree, if an apple branch is not attached to an apple tree, it cannot live right? Duh. It's obvious. I know. But okay. So I've been looking forward to this. Just sit tight. I'm going to show you this. You ready? All right. So this is a, is a branch. It was alive, but we had a big windstorm a couple weeks ago. Do you remember? So this is a branch that fell off. It's not an apple tree. It's a Norway maple in our front yard. And it's just an ordinary branch that fell. And if you look at it, it's not rotted or anything. It, it was alive. It was a healthy branch. And for some reason, it just broke off in all the wind. But it's not connected to the tree anymore. So it was alive. Now it's dead. It will never bear fruit again. And the life in the branch doesn't come from the branch itself. It only comes from being connected to the tree. So now that it's not, what's going to happen? It's going on my brush pile, and it's going to get burned in our fire pit this summer. This branch cannot will never bear fruit. Simple, right? I didn't think about, well, um, I'm going to put this here. <laughs> I got to come back to it, so I got to, there we go, good. I am the true vine, Jesus says. I am the true vine. I am the trunk of the apple tree. You are the branches. And every branch that does not remain in me, that's not still connected to me, will wither and die. You, you get the metaphor, right? I'm kind of belaboring it, I know. And Jesus isn't making a, a threat. He's just making a statement of fact. It's not that the tree doesn't want to give life to the broken off branch. It's that it can't. It can't. A dead branch, a branch that's not connected to the tree, cannot bear fruit. That's the basic idea that Jesus is teaching us. 
Now we get to do a little bit of interpretive work this morning and ask, well, what does it actually mean to bear fruit? And there's a lot of different places in Scripture you can appeal. I just thought of one more in the shower this morning, that this connects all the way back to Genesis 3. That'll have to be another sermon someday, but it's a really cool idea. I can't wait to share it with you someday. uh, There's fruit all over in the Bible, but consider a good starting point might just be Galatians 5, the famous, the fruit of the Spirit. Do you remember the fruit of the Spirit? Paul says the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's not an exhaustive list, but that's a good starting point. That the fruit that God intends for us to bear in this life can be pretty well summed up by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And there are so many people, and I I see, especially in my role as a pastor, I see and I hear from so many people, and many who will tell you that they are Christians, who are working and trying so hard to bear fruit in this life. But they're not drawing their life from the vine. They're not drawing their life from Jesus. And so they're trying really, really hard. And maybe this describes some of you. Like they're trying so hard to be more loving. And they're honestly trying. They're not trying to pull the wool over anybody's eyes or anything. They're honestly trying. They're trying really hard to be more joyful. Trying really hard to be more peaceful and to find peace. And it's like, if you've ever tried, like these are big ideas. This is really hard work. And to be honest, it's not working. They'll tell you, it's just not working. And they're wondering, like, I'm trying so hard to be a good Christian. I'm trying really hard to be more patient or more kind or more good. And it's just not working. And I just try, and like, maybe I see a little bit of progress and then it's a couple steps back all over again. Or maybe it goes okay for a little while and then, and then my coworker just pushes my buttons one more time, or it's going okay, I'm trying to be patient, and then my kids just get on my last nerve. I feel like I'm making progress, and then it, like, it's, it's even harder, because it, then it's that person from church who just gets under my skin again, and I lose it, and I wonder, like, what happened to the faithfulness that I was, that I was working so hard to cultivate? What happened to the gentleness and the self-control that I'm working so hard at? To say I'm working really hard to be a good Christian, to say I'm working really hard to be more loving or joyful or peaceful or any of that list is about as effective as this branch saying, if it could talk, I'm working really hard to squeeze out like a fresh, crisp apple. It's not going to happen. It's no matter how hard it tries, it's just not going to happen. Why? Because it's not connected to the tree. It's a really simple idea, and yet it's so profound. It's trying to create something out of nothing. There's no life coming into the branch anymore, and therefore it cannot produce life. If you want to switch the metaphor, and if you're a science person, if you're an engineer or a physicist or a chemist, this is just the law of the conservation of energy. You know this. Like at best, 
You can, you can try to facilitate or harness potential energy to become kinetic energy, right, engineers? And that's what so much of life is about. But you cannot create raw potential or kinetic energy from nothing. You're just converting one form of energy to another. In the same way, a tree branch cannot create good fruit from nothing. This can't happen. Now, it does occur to me, like, you could, you could fake it. You could fake it. So you could find a really nice-looking piece of fruit, and from a distance, you wouldn't know that this is plastic, at least from a far enough distance. I don't know how it looks for those of you who are watching online. You wouldn't know. It looks pretty good. And, and, and you could find a way to fasten this apple, right, to the branch. Is it going to fit? There you go. Look at that. And from a distance, those of you in the back, that's not bad, huh? See? I bore fruit. Look. You can, you can fake it, sure. And from a distance, it might look okay, but the minute somebody comes up closer and tries to take a bite out of that apple or even just pluck it off the tree, like, it's going to be shown for what it is. Jesus says, I am the true vine. You're the branches. So remain in me. Because whoever remains in me and I in him, he it is that will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That's not my words. That's Jesus's. That's right from verse 5. Apart from me, Jesus says, you can do nothing. Jesus, Jesus expands on that and kind of clarifies all at once a little bit later. I'm gonna, let me just read verses 9 through 12 for you again. You can follow along in your program or if your Bible, if it's open. Jesus says this, As the Father has loved me, so now he's talking about love, so have I loved you. Now, remain in my love. If you obey my commands, and if you, will, uh, if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. And I've told you this, so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. He's making the same point. Now he's just talking about love. But do you see what he's saying? He's saying, love each other as I have loved you. Don't just work really, really hard to try to be a more loving person. We can only truly love each other if we're receiving the love of Christ, Jesus says. Elsewhere in the Gospels, in Matthew 22, there's a famous story where somebody asked Jesus, what's the most important command in the whole Bible? And Jesus says, well, there are two. Number one, love God with your whole being. And number two, love your neighbor as yourself. And here he clarifies that we can only love each other insofar as we have received the love of God in Christ. You will not truly, deeply, fully love. You'll get hints of love, but you will not truly, deeply, fully love someone if you've not received the love of Christ. You see what he's saying? He's saying that when we remain in him, when we stay connected to him, when we're drawing our life from him, 
And when the, the roots of God are bringing all the nutrients up from the ground and then nourishing us, then we will bear fruit. You can flip this on its head and, and use it as kind of a diagnostic tool. You, you, you could ask, you might ask, well, how do I know if I'm remaining in Christ? How do I know if I'm connected to God? How do I have, what, what evidence do I have of my faith? Well, Jesus says you look for evidence. Look for fruit. Do you love your neighbor as yourself? One of the best diagnostic questions for our faith is do I love my neighbor? Do I love my brother and sister? And not just like, do I, do I feel loving? And it's especially easy to feel loving on Sunday morning at about 1045 in the morning when the pastor is preaching about it. But do I demonstrate that I love them? In other words, would somebody from the outside who watches my interactions describe them as filled with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness? faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. What that probably does in each of us, and me too, is that it develops some sense of conviction in us. And we start to see, man, I, I haven't been as loving as I thought. And it's not that I don't want to, I just I can think of so many times that I haven't demonstrated love. And in those moments, it's so easy. We are so tempted to think, okay, I just, I just got to work hard to be more patient with my kids. I just got to work harder to be gentle. And when we do that, we are no different than that dead branch trying to squeeze out a fresh, crisp apple. It just doesn't work. You hear what Jesus is saying, right? Right? Let me paraphrase. Let me just be really direct, not even image-based. It's as if Jesus is saying, stop trying harder to behave. Stop trying harder to be moral. Stop trying harder to be a good person. It will not work in the long run. You'll just end up exhausted and depressed and guilty, and, and feeling even more like you measure up, you don't measure up, because you keep trying, and it keeps not working, and then what hope is there? You know who wants you to try really hard, really, really hard to be a good moral person is Satan. Satan wants you to try everything in you to get, be a harder, good, moral person. He wants you to think it comes from inside of you instead of drawing the love and the joy and the peace from Christ. He doesn't want you connected to that tree. He wants you to try really hard to make that apple on your own. Put it this way. If, if, if this is you, if you, if you, and if you're, to some degree, this is all of us. So to the, to the extent that we think being a good Christian is about being just a good moral person and working really hard at, at being a good moral person. Just, just ask yourself, like, how many years have you been working at that, at that project? How many years, how many decades have you been working on this project of morality in your life? How's it going? Are you good enough yet? Like, have you reached, have you reached where you're trying to get to? 
And if not, how much longer do you think it's going to take you to get there? And if you've been working at this thing for decades, do you really think you're going to resolve it in a matter of months? Jesus, you see what Jesus is saying? I'm just saying the same thing over and over, I know. Quit thinking you can do this thing through sheer force of will, through just being more disciplined, through just working harder, through just not pressing snooze and getting up early in the morning and reading your Bible because that's what you're supposed to do. Jesus says, remain in me. Remain in my love and let my love fill you so full that you can't even hold it all. And it just spills over like it's inevitable. You can't help it. It just spills out into all of your other relationships and interactions. Remain in me. Abide in me. The branch has to stay connected to the tree or it's dead. And there's an obvious kind of practical question is what does that mean? What does it look like to remain in him, to abide in him? You know how the, um, the more time you start spending with someone, the more you start to take on their mannerisms? Or the more, more time you spend in a certain environment, the more, time, the more you start adopting the language of that place? I grew up in Virginia, and then I lived in North Carolina for almost a decade, and we moved up here, and now we've been up here, here for over a decade, and, and I've caught myself using the word wicked as an adjective. And I never thought, but like, that's wicked, what a, he's wicked smart. Where did that come from? I would never use that language in Virginia or North Carolina. Like, I wouldn't dare. And yet here, it just, I didn't even, I didn't, it didn't mean to. It just rolled off. Why? Because the more time you spend somewhere, the more you take on that language. The more time you spend with someone, the more you start to behave and talk and act like them. What does it mean to remain in Christ? Well, it means that the more time we spend with him, the more we start to look and act and talk and, dare I say, smell like him. So remain in him. It's, it's simple. Like, we keep coming back to this. The best ways we have to remain in him are through scripture, just spending time with him in his word, through prayer, through service, and through communi- like honest community fellowship with one another. He says, remain in me. Now, let me just give you one really, this just occurred to me, and this isn't Bible, this is just a connection that I thought of. But if, if you, you haven't, or you haven't done this in a long time, or you're wondering, where do I start? Consider this. Between now and Easter, there are exactly 42 days. Exactly 42 days from now until Easter Sunday. I'm preaching through the Gospel of John during Lent, and in the Gospel of John, there are exactly 21 chapters. Those of you who are math whizzes can figure that out pretty easily. 42 divided by 2 is 21. So if you were to, to, to take your Bible, and if you don't have a Bible, by the way, there are some under the pews, and just take one of ours if you don't have a, please. And if you were to flip open to the Gospel of John, which is two-thirds to three-quarters of the way back, and there's a table of contents in the front of your Bible so you can find it, just remember the name John. And if you were to read half a chapter a day between now and Easter, you would read the whole Gospel of John in the next six weeks. Or if you're really like a high achiever, you could read a chapter a day, and you could read the Gospel of John twice over the next six weeks. I'm a slow reader. I'm, a, I'm actually like a shockingly slow reader. 
It takes me about five minutes to read a chapter of the Gospel of John. It won't take that long. And you probably won't understand it all, and that's okay. I don't understand it all, and my job is to understand it. It's actually not, but people think it is. <laughs> the, goal, the goal is not to understand everything that's, that's in this book. The goal isn't to, to exert mastery over it. The goal, what does Jesus say? Well, the goal is to abide, to just spend time with him, to marinate in it, and to meditate on it so that as we abide, we begin to bear fruit. So in other words, even if you come across something you don't understand or Jesus says something that's just shocking and mind-blowing, you could pray like, God, help me to understand this, and that's a good prayer. Probably a better prayer would be, God, use this to make me more like you. Use this, even if I don't even understand how it works, to bear fruit in my life. Our goal is not to master the word of God, but it's to let the word of God master us and to let it transform us. How does that look? As you're reading through, if you were to do this and you were reading through the Gospel of John, maybe you come across a certain text or phrase or verse that's meaningful and you can jot it down in your planner. And then every morning as you're looking through your planner, planning your day, you're confronted again with this verse. Maybe you jot it on an index card that you keep in your pocket. If you're the type who likes to read the Bible on your smartphone, take a screenshot and set that to be your lock screen. So every time you pull out your phone, even just to check your text messages or your Instagram, there is God's word just slowly seeping into you. Do you see? It's not about mastery. It's about being mastered and influenced and transformed by the true vine. I'm the true vine, Jesus says. Isn't it interesting? Jesus says, I'm the true vine. Which means there are also counterfeit vines. There are vines that, that, that look like the real thing, that promise to be the real thing, and yet that you really can't redeem. So quit trying, Jesus says, to suck life out of counterfeit vines. Quit thinking that you can will yourself into being a good, upstanding Christian. Remain in me, Jesus says. Remain in me. It strikes me that, that there may be someone in here, and I don't know this, but there may be someone in here wondering, you know, like, man, I used to be more connected, and now I feel kind of like that branch that's been broken off. What hope is there for me? It's a really good question. Uh, did you know, I just learned this this week, that a really good gardener, a master gardener, can take a branch that broke off, not even just pruned off, but that broke off, and graft it back onto the tree again. And that somehow those wood fibers start to grow together, and the, the branch grows into the tree and starts receiving life from the tree again, and it can even start to bear fruit again. That's something. Now, if this branch from my Norway maple tree uh, were to decide, we're going to really anthropomorphize this branch, if it were to decide, uh, I want to be connected to the tree, well, what can it, it can't do anything, you see. A branch can't reattach itself to a tree. It needs a master gardener. You notice what Jesus says in verse 1? Look back at verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the 
gardener. The vine dresser is the literal Greek. God is the master gardener. A branch can't reattach itself, and we can't reattach ourselves to God. That's just buying into the same lie that I can somehow create and manufacture a connection. I need the skilled gardener in my life grafting me and and binding those wounds and making sure that everything is going as it should. So pray. Pray and ask the master gardener to graft you back onto the vine back onto the tree so that you can bear fruit. There might be no better prayer than that. And that's, I'll tell you, that's a prayer that God loves to answer. He loves to answer. Even if we've been broken off, we can be grafted back on. Why, as we close, consider this. Because there was one who himself, who willed himself to be broken off. We can remain in Christ and we can draw our life from God because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, allowed himself to be cut off from the vine. And as he hung on the cross, and we're going to deal with this when we get closer and closer to Good Friday, Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was severed from the Father, completely severed, no longer receiving the life and the joy from his Father, his own Father, And any tree of mine that does not bear fruit is gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. But he was severed so that we might be grafted back on. You see, our Lord Jesus hung on a tree and let his life pour out from his veins so that we could be grafted back onto the tree and draw our limitless life from him so that his life would course through our veins. The gospel, the good news of the Christian faith, is that we can't, but he can and he has through his son Jesus. Do you see? It is only through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we find life and resurrection ourselves. So abide in me, Jesus says. I'm the true vine. Remain in me. Stay connected to me. He it is that bears much fruit. Let's pray together. Lord, teach us what it means to abide and to remain in you and to be connected to you. Forgive us for all of those times that we think we can can figure this out and we can just manufacture it on our own. Bring us to the realization of our own neediness and dependence and let our neediness and our dependence draw us closer to you. Graft us back to yourself. pour life into us and love into us so that we would bear fruit and love ourselves. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.